Good afternoon. You're listening to 90.7 FM KALX. I'm Franklin, and this is Perfect Rocks. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be talking about sewage, email viruses, and waves. In addition, we'll be joined by Mr. Jonathan Land, who will discuss his book, The Spam Letters. Plus, we'll find out what one stone means. So stay tuned for all this, plus the Rocketron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week coming right up here on Berkeley Grox. I'm Franklin. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Not too bad, not too bad. How about you, Charles? Oh, excellent, excellent. So, what's going on in the world of science this week? So, oh, some dirty stuff going on. Oh, science is always dirty. Yeah. If it were clean, no one would like it. It wouldn't be quite as sexy. Uh, in fact, uh, this is actually not very sexy, but... Um, <laughs> oh, come on, science is always sexy. <laughs> it turns out chemicals in sewage are causing fishes to change sex. Do you so, think that's sexy? Well, it involves sex, but it's not really as sexy as I'd hoped. So there was a study carried out in the UK, 1,500 fishes in 50 locations, and it showed that one-third of the male fishes showed female characteristics. So after being exposed to this the sewage in the rivers. Just the sewage. Right. And they looked at the sewage to find out what was in it, and it turns out there's a naturally high level of female hormones that could have come off from leftover contraceptives <laughs> or undigested contraceptives and other polluted sources. So they've actually identified the actual culprits, compound known as ostradiol and ostrone, and a synthetic one called ethanol estradiol. Okay, so from uh, like birth control pills. Possibly. Huh. What does this mean, I guess, as far as... Uh, well, it means that the survival of the fish could be at risk, since if these males are becoming more and more female, it's less likely for them to produce the proper sperm. So are they suggesting anything as far as uh, remediation efforts? I don't know, maybe uh, phasing out contraceptive pills, but... <laughs> If it comes down to the fishes or us, uh, it's a tough call. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this was reported by the Environment Agency of UK, and there's actually various stories on the web about this right now. Okay, Frank, do you feel like you're a very open individual? I'm open to anything, man. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I said I'm open. I didn't say I was tolerated. Okay, well, as long as people don't proposition you too often, I guess that's probably a good thing. Yeah, it's kind of flattering, actually, in a strange way. Let's tell that to the fishes. <laughs> Well, some researchers have found out that capillaries could be made to be as open as... Capillaries? Capillaries, yes. You mean like dilating them a little bit? Right. So uh, this is actually quite interesting because researchers are interested in developing drugs that can actually go to many tissues in the body. And it turns out that by making capillaries more porous, they can actually improve the delivery of drugs to certain types of tissue. Oh, I see. So a group of researchers led by Jeffrey Chamblain and colleagues at the University of Washington, Seattle, have shown that now this can work for a common form of muscular dystrophy. So are they doing some sort of targeted delivery where they can expose certain tissue to this uh, actually, agent? Actually, sort of the opposite of the target delivery. They want to deliver it to pretty much everything, right? Oh, okay. And in particular, muscle cells, right? right. Which are heavily innervated by blood. Yes. And so a big problem is, of course, crossing the blood barrier. Mm -hmm. And one of the issues is, of course, if we can make the walls of the blood vessels a little more porous, then the things probably could get through a little easier. Right. So what they did is they used a compound called VEGF, and that apparently makes the tissue walls of the capillaries a little thinner. And so the gene delivery thing that they've developed can now get to all the muscles and improve uh, delivery of the 
drug. Wow. I wonder if I could use like as a substitute for Viagra since it's uh, <laughs> improving the blood flow. Uh, it always comes down to making Viagra a little bit better. Research one day will make uh, impotence obsolete. <laughs> but until then, we'll have to tolerate just curing muscular dystrophy. <laughs> But this is actually quite fascinating. According to uh, neurobiologist Beverly Davidson of the University of Iowa, she said she was skeptical that delivery to every muscle could be accomplished, but as she says, quote, he proved me wrong. (laughs) Quite interesting work, and it was published in the recent edition of Nature Medicine. So, uh, have you tried to Google yesterday, or Monday, I guess? I Google every morning, and I Google every night. Is but sometimes I'd like to Google with a partner, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun, more fun with a partner. It's no? always more fun Googling with a partner. Well, I actually was disabled earlier this week because of a new virus called MyDoom.O. I love the sort of uh, optimistic titles of a lot of these viruses. <laughs> <laughs> but this is pretty vicious, because uh, it coincided with the same day that they announced the price for uh, Google's IPO share. And what happened was this virus would go into the email address books of infected computers and extract the names or domain names that they find and send queries into Google. So that sort of bogged it down quite a right. bit. It works by exploring a back door. So when you have an attachment in your email, it may look something like system administrator suspects that you have a virus. But it turns out when you open that attachment, it installs a back door. And that's how this virus gains control of your computer in your address book. Intriguing. Well, I guess if it controlled my address book, get all three people that I know. So. (laughs) (laughs) And you got a lot of friends. Yeah, well, that's my social network anyway. So um, (laughs) that's intriguing. So do they think that this was planned around the IPO? It's very possible. There are some people who suspect that oh, Microsoft may be benefiting from it since the MSN search engine had experienced a surge after the failure of Google. <laughs> Microsoft, will they stop at nothing? <laughs> okay, well, but the IPO, I guess, went off as planned. Or the price, I guess. Or the price, anyway. Uh, a mere 135 bucks. Wow, that's a bargain, huh? Yeah, for just a search engine. Wow. Wow. So if people want to learn more about viruses... Uh, there's a very nice article in the July 27th edition of New Scientist. All right, Frank, so are you afraid of monsters? Not as much as real people, actually. How about the threat of being capsized by a monstrous wave? Well, at least it'll be sudden and painless, <laughs> right? You won't have that anticipation of a slow and painless death. It just happens. Yep. Uh, there's a group of uh, waves that occur in the sea that are almost 25 meters high, and in the past two decades has sunk almost 200 cargo ships that have been as large as 200 meters or so. The perfect storm. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> perfect wave, I guess. Uh, but uh, researchers have thought for quite some time that these things were very unlikely, but a new search by uh, six European countries that teamed up with the European Space Agency to collect 30,000 radar images, made a survey of these waves in the sea. They found at least 10 massive waves occurring from just a 10-meter resolution image of a chunk of sea. Mm -hmm. And apparently the frequency is much higher than anyone thought previously, and so causing people to maybe take precautions against these freak waves that can sometimes rise out of nowhere. If they are able to predict these waves, I guess that means they can warn ships not to approach them or stay away from the area, right? Well, that's the hope anyway, but apparently they're so unpredictable that they can just arise out of calm waters all of a sudden and you can have a huge 25-meter wave engulf your ship. Wow. So, pretty cool Like if you, if you like being inundated by water. Uncertainty is always nice. All right, and if anyone wants to learn more about waves... Catching the next wave? Catching a wave. They can take a look. It's uh, in the recent edition of Science Now. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. You're listening to Berkeley Grocks, only here on 90.7 FM, KALX. Well, coming up next, Mr. Jonathan Land will join us to discuss his book, The Spam Letters. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to Berkeley Grocks, only here on 90.7 FM, KALX. Well, the advent of email has drastically improved and facilitated communication around the globe. Where would we be today without the ability to instantly send a letter to someone halfway around the world? But as most of us are well aware, progress has come with a cost. Spam! This new age version of junk mail threatens the sanity of even the most savvy computer user. Where did it come from, how did it get here, and how can we get rid of it? Well, join us today on Berkeley Grox to discuss his own special brand of anti-spamming is Mr. Jonathan Land. Mr. Land is, among other things, an accomplished artist and a participant in the experimental musical group Negative Land. He is the creator of thespamletters.com, which details his unique and humorous responses to many of the over 400 pieces of spam he receives each day. And a collection of these responses has just been released by No Starch Press in a volume aptly titled The Spam Letters. And he joins us today to discuss his own war against spam. Mr. Land, thank you very much for joining us today on Berkeley Grocks. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's certainly a pleasure, and you've, uh, you've written a very uh, fascinating and, and certainly very entertaining book. Most of us might just hit delete when we get a piece of spam. You've crafted some uh, well, very interesting, humorous, and I think often lengthy responses to some of these uh, pieces of spam. Why did you decide to do it, and what, what possessed you? I guess my brain just went haywire for a minute there after being overloaded by one too many pieces of spam. When I started off doing this, I was getting a bit unnerved by the amount of spam I was getting, but occasionally I'd receive some that were either unorthodox, like I have a chapter dealing with this Indian textile manufacturer named Cuddy, who sent me a spam early on, which is very strange in terms of trying to get me to buy lots and lots of product from him made of some really horrible fabric and I don't know why he approached me or why he thought that this would be the type of thing that one should mass market but he did and out of sheer curiosity I had to inquire back. Like I said it started off just as a curiosity thing on my part this was just so weird that I just wanted to see who was on the other end of this thing. So I partially, okay, mostly jokingly, re- <laughs> responded to him just to test the waters to see what his, his mindset was and whether he'd be willing to manufacture something a bit unorthodox and crazy just to test his limits. So I wound up doing that, and he was all for it. And none of the samples ever got made, incidentally. I would have loved to have some of the designs, but I didn't want to put the guy out financially. <laughs> So he eventually sent someone else to me to look for a job with the fake clothing company that I established. And so the dialogue continued on through this other person, and very surreal, pretty funny. Well, I mean, is it typical that when you send these responses to spam that you actually get a response back? Unfortunately not. I'd say about 90% of the emails I send bounce because usually the only people who would want to receive your email back would be either con artists who need you to participate to take advantage of you or people who might be too naive to even realize that they're sending out spam. But I encountered a bunch of that in the beginning when I started writing these. But nowadays, I think it's pretty clear defined that if, if you happen to be sending out tens or hundreds of thousands of emails to just random strangers off of a list you bought, then most likely that's spam. Well, I'm curious, from the responses you did get, did you get any sort of insight into the inner workings of the spammer? And- 
Unfortunately, not as much as I would have liked, I guess. Sociological experiment part of the letters died out pretty quickly because the people who respond to you tend not to be that honest to begin with. I'd have some exchanges with people where eventually they'd realize that I'd be joking with them. Mm-hmm. And a- after that point, then I'd start to talk to them seriously with some real questions I had about what they did and why they do it. And that's the point where they would clam up. I unfortunately could write back to them 10 or 15 times saying the most ridiculous things and solicit a response. <laughs> But no matter how outlandish those letters are, they choose to respond to those as opposed to the serious inquisitions into their trade, which is slightly unfortunate for me, but I still had a lot of fun with it. (laughs) Well, I guess it might be the case that they just sort of saw what they wanted to see, even however remote it was. Especially with the Nigerian con men, it appears that they have the belief that uh, as long as you respond, then they think they can separate you from your money. But that's not the case, especially with there are a lot of people now responding to that particular scam. And I wouldn't be surprised if they get more people trying to toy with them than people who actually fall for the scam and give them their money or their information. Well, I guess all they need is one out of however many they send in there. Yeah, well, that's I mean that's the thing about spam. For for all the spam that they send out, it costs them nothing, if not very little, to do that. So pretty much anything would be a return. Mm-hmm. So they just get few people, and it is worth their time and effort and whatever money they spent gets recouped very quickly. Well, I actually heard that the Nigeria scam was probably one of the biggest money makers in, in Nigeria, in fact. It is. I, I remember reading a few years ago that it, it fluctuated from year to year, but it was either the third or the fifth highest method of earning money in, in Nigeria, mm. which is pretty shocking. Well, hopefully people, I guess, wise up to that one. So besides that, what what are some of your other favorite pieces of spam? Well, I have two approaches of dealing with these things. There's the approach of when I know I'm going to get a reply, say from a Nigerian, because that's just like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. They will, you can say anything to them, and they will respond. And then there's the non-responses, which are far more likely, where I take a more short Dory-ish route, realizing that the intended person is not going to receive my reply. I just think of, in general, what I can do with this, and the, the reins that I, I try to keep myself on in terms of not being too goofy to put someone off, or those are just gone in those instances. So my favorite ones tend to be where I assume the least likely character to need the product that the spammer is pushing. It's especially fun with Viagra spams, writing back as as a college-age teen who, (laughs) far from needing that, and how the offending spam in their mailbox has either bettered or, or worsened their lives as uh, I demonstrate in two spams in the book. Same kid, two different reactions, slightly different spam, but it's sort of fun to jump into the least likely character that these things would appeal to. Well, I mean, some of the responses here are certainly very humorous, and I think they could make a novel of themselves. Thank you. But let's see. So so in your opinion, do you feel like spam is growing since you've started answering these emails or changed somewhat from when you've started? Well, I've noticed 
two things. The first is that it's definitely grown for me because I'm doing the one most important thing that you should absolutely not do, and that's reply. (laughs) Because even if someone doesn't write back to you, they collect your email address, and they have the giant spammer Tupperware parties where they just (laughs) gather their friends over for dinner and sell them lists. Something to that effect. I'm sure that physically doesn't happen in the real world, but uh, no, spammers might have Tupperware parties. They, they, they might. Who, who knows? But either either the physical or the online equivalent of that. So when I started doing this, I was getting about 20 or 30 spams a day, and now I get around 500. This has been over a couple of years, so that's the most noticeable thing that has changed in my inbox. And at, at first, when I started to get slightly more spam, I was thinking, "Oh, great, more material." Uh-huh. But now that I'm getting about 500 a day, that's more than I'll ever be able to deal with or ever want to. The second thing I noticed is that I don't know why, but it seems like, uh, this is going to be a weird statement, but the quality of spam has been degrading. Mm. I used to get some interesting things here and there that would pop up and pique my interest, but the majority of what I get now, besides viruses, uh, are typically just either home finance, Canadian drugs, or hi, I have a webcam and I'm naked on it. (laughs) Those are the top three I get, and I get them repeatedly. And I'd kill for just some good, as seen on TV, horrible product. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, for a while there, I was getting lots of combination pasta pots and colanders. Mm -hmm. Those were interesting, but those are now a thing of the past. I guess that didn't work out for those people, and it's just the um, Canadian pharmaceuticals and webcams. Right. Let's see. Well, it looks like we are running uh, slightly out of time, but I'm just curious. So how will you continue to fight the spam that keeps growing? Well, you know, I intend to keep doing for a while. It's it's fun, it's cathartic, and people have been enjoying it for the most part. So even though I realize that my efforts are completely futile in terms of putting any sort of stop to spam, there's sort of the frustration relief that might come with reading some of those. And I think I still have a couple good ones in me, and we'll just see what happens. All right. Well, if you want to check out the responses to these spam letters, where can they go? Uh, they can go to spamletters.com. Got a, a bunch of samples up there, and actually there are, there are many, many samples since I've, I've written over 200 of them so far, and there's still a whole lot more in the, the book that's not on the site, so you, you can have your cake and eat it too. Right. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Land, I want to thank you again for a very uh, fascinating interview and talking to us about your book, The Spam Letters. Thank you very much. And you were just listening to Mr. Jonathan Land discussing his book, The Spam Letters. You're listening to Berkeley Grok's only here on 90.7 FM, KALX. Well, coming up next, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the answer to last week's question of the week. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to Berkeley Grox, only here on 90.7 FM KALX. Well, we're back from the break uh, with our guest, uh, Mr. Jonathan Land, author of The Spam Letters, who has graciously agreed to stick around and play our game, the Grokatron 5000. The Grokatron 5000 is, of course, our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue, who comes up with five questions for all of our guests. And today, the Grokatron 5000 has come up with the category, Spam or Not Spam? Uh-oh. So, for the following five people... If you were to receive a letter from them, would you consider it spam or not spam? And how would you reply? So are you ready to play our game, the Grokatron 5000? Uh, I'll try my best. <laughs> Very good. Well, the Grokatron 5000 asks nothing more. All right. <laughs> so here we go. Letter number one, spam or not spam, from Lance Armstrong. Spam. He never write to me. Okay. Letter from Arnold Schwarzenegger. That would not be spam, because I have a feeling he would want my vote, so I'd hear from him eventually. Okay, well, I, I think he's going for everybody's vote eventually. Yeah, which is funny, because I'm not even in California, but I expect him to write. I, I don't think that will stop him, really. <laughs> okay, letter number three, spam, not spam, from Harry Potter. Uh, spam. I don't uh, like getting email from fictional people. Okay. Uh, letter number four, from George W. Bush. Not spam. He's more desperate than Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I can't even get into uh, how, how I'd reply to that one. There, you, you don't have enough time. <laughs> I, anyone has really enough time to reply to, to yeah, that. Yeah, I think everyone can come up with their own answer to that. <laughs> right, right. Okay, and finally, uh, letter number five from the Olsen twins, Mary-Kate and Ashley. Hmm, I, I don't know. Would it be wrong for me to I'd purge my mail file on um, <laughs> Well, you have to do what you have to do, I guess. <laughs> All right, well, Mr. Land, I, I want to thank you very much for uh, sticking around, uh, playing our game, the Grokatron 5000, and, of course, talking about your book, The Spam Letters. Thank you very much, and I'm sure I'll get my fabulous prize in the mail. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> All right, and now here's Professor Einstein with the answer to last week's question of the week. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Zer Frank. It was a good pleasure to be here again in the Berkeley York Studio to give the answer to last week's question of the week. Yeah, and so the question was, what does my name mean? You know, Einstein. Ah, yes. Well, uh, the people who uh, know the German would know that Ein means one, and Stein means stone, and so therefore by name Einstein, one stone. Whoa, one stone to rule them all. Yeah, and I will uh, take my relativity and uh, dominate the Earth. And now here's Jedi Master Yoda with this week's question of the week. Hmm, mysterious and dangerous this force is, but the waves they cause, hmm, but where does it come from? If you know the answer, or think you know the answer, Email us at groks at hotmail.com. You won't win anything, but source up. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Groks. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Groks, email us at groks at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Groks, I'm Frank Lee. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and stay tuned for more music with your host, Katie.